Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 1 through 14, and then verses 27 to 31. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. One of the most successful sports teams in the world has this motto that unites their organization. Mescu un club, which means in English, more than a club. Now this motto articulates FC Barcelona's football club Barcelona's vision and goal of being more than just a winning football champion or soccer for North Americans. It speaks to their desire as an organization to develop socially responsible human beings, and it's reflected in their 
recruitment of one of the most famous soccer players in the world, Lionel Messi, from Argentina to their youth academy in Barcelona as a 13-year-old. There, they, they, pay, they paid for his hormone treatments that his family could not afford for his hormone deficiency. And of course, the team had something significant to gain from his prodigious soccer skills. But in their recruitment of players from around the world, the youth are not only honed in their skills, but they are taught this team philosophy that possession, soccer, control is what wins games, and that the team is more important than the individual. Now, many of the lasting stars that now make up the team have been developed in this youth academy, and their unifying identity is especially important when the players come from 16 different nationalities. Their ownership structure is also unique. Instead of a small group of wealthy owners making all the decisions, they actually have 144,000 members who have a say in the future direction of the club. Now, this doesn't mean that the results aren't important too. They are the first pro team, sports team, to have a $1 billion annual budget in order to achieve their success. But their team culture is unique. Every, each member connected to the team is seen as valuable from the players on the pitch to the management and to the fans and to these ownership members. They all contribute to the success of the team, united in this vision to play beautiful soccer for one's community, and not just for money or the glory of a single star player. Now in today's text, Paul continues to speak to this problem in the Corinthian church, this problem of division, by pointing to what unites them as a group. Now some members viewed themselves to be better than others because of the gifts that they had. And in their culture, some roles in the faith community were seen as more important than others. And some ethnic groups and cultures saw themselves as less than others. But Paul encourages them to stay united and to provide this basis for this unity amidst their diversity. Now we'll walk through this text in three movements today to see how Paul's teaching might inform our longing for unity amidst the diversity of our church community, amidst this diverse nation, especially with the vote in two days as uh, Daryl uh, alluded to earlier in the service, and the diversity of the world that we live in. So we're going to walk through these three things, identity, unity, and diversity. Identity, unity, and diversity. Now, we live in a world where we build our identities around our skills or our experiences. You know, those who are gifted actors end up on our movie screens and computer screens. Those who are gifted musicians are the ones who make it on the stages and the arenas. Those who are gifted at explaining things and end up as our teachers and as our professors. Now, these skills and years of experience are honed into these recognizable identities. Now, the FC Barcelona club has built its identity in a rather counterintuitive manner by articulating this team identity, Mesco un club. Not around superstar players and not around championships, though they have many of those. Paul is doing something similar here with the Corinthian church. He recognizes that there is not only a diversity of backgrounds and ethnicities, but there's this diversity of gifts that make up the body of Christ, particularly in the Corinthian church. But their individual identities were not meant to be defined by their gifts, but rather to be grounded in another core identity. In Christ, they are more than their individual identities. 
The Corinthians were more than their ethnicities and their tribes and their stories and their gifts. Paul opens the chapter with this reference to the word, once you knew that you were once pagans. Now this Greek word translated as pagans here is ethne. It's where we get the word ethnic. It was referred to Gentiles or non-Jews in Paul's time. Now many in the Corinthian church as Gentiles had identities that would have made them separate from the Jewish faith and heritage from which this Christian faith emerged. And in Paul's day, a Greek person who was attracted to Judaism had two choices. One, they could become a Jew through Jewish baptism by getting circumcised and by rejecting their Greek culture. Or two, they could remain as a Greek and be known as what is called a God-fearer. And they would literally sit in the back of the synagogue and they would remain an outsider in the Jewish community, even though they found meaning in the Jewish faith. But Paul could not accept either of these positions. Jews and Greeks, in his mind, were now one in Christ. But they could still maintain their ethnic identity. Their sense of identity may have once been grounded in their ethnicity or in their religion. But in Paul's mind, they now had a new identity. They were now part of the people of God. It was in continuity with the God's promises to the Old Testament Israelites. Now, this is an incredible reality for many of us who are listening today, who don't come from a Jewish heritage. We were once outsiders to God's promises, not only because of our sin, but because of our ethnicity. But now, God's promise of blessing and flourishing to the Jewish people is now made available to all who respond to Christ and his reign in the world. Paul here is reprioritizing categories of identity for the Corinthian church. They once drew a line between Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. But Paul is saying, by responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are now one body. We are now one family. Now, at the level of ethnicity and skin color, they could differ at that level of identity. But there is this new identity in Christ that united them on a level that is deeper than our ethnicity and deeper than the stories that have informed our lives up until this point. Now, in verse 3, uh, Paul refers to this Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is the one who enables us to call out Jesus is Lord. Now, I spent my teenage and young adult years in a Pentecostal charismatic church where speaking in tongues, and that's, that, that's speaking in a language that is not known to you, and interpretation of tongues took place in some of our services. And also praying for people under demonic influence, while it wasn't a regular occurrence, it was also not an unexpected occurrence. Now, most of our exposure in our culture to demons nowadays is characterized through fantasy horror shows or through Halloween festivities. But as Christ, they, they kind of downplay the reality of it. But as Christ followers, we acknowledge that there are real powers of darkness that are anathema to God's work in the world. And in the churches I grew up in, we would learn how to confront these powers and exercise these gifts as part of our spiritual growth. Now, I wouldn't say that I am particularly gifted at casting out demons or that I need to be high alert on in looking out for them. Partly because we now live in this very highly rational context. But that's not the way it is for many parts of the world. I also recognize this possibility of ministering to someone in this way. 
You know, often in prayer, there might be some uh, internal resistance from the person who comes forward asking for prayer. And one key question that I'll ask this individual who comes forward for prayer is, where are you at with Jesus? Do you confess that Jesus is Lord over your life? Do you, in other words, I'm asking, do you wish to have Jesus lead in all parts of your life? And sometimes there would be an, a demonstrable resistance to acknowledging Christ's lordship. And breaking through this barrier of Christ's lordship is intricately tied to the person experiencing God's freedom. My point here is this, that while there are certain signs of God's spirit working in the lives of people who may identify as Christ's followers because we're all made in God's image, that doesn't necessarily mean they have responded to the saving work of the spirit that accompanies conviction of sin and recognizing the leadership that Jesus intends to have over our lives. And this is the distinction that Paul makes. Yes, God is, God's spirit is at work in the lives of people all the time, often in ways that we don't recognize. But there is a moment where God's spirit becomes active and moving uniquely when a person responds in their heart, in faith to the gospel message. No one can say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus has rights over all parts of my life. Jesus is the leader of my life, except by the special work of the Holy Spirit in the life of that person. So Paul's assurance to the Corinthian church is that those who have recognized Jesus as Lord have the same ability to speak by the same Spirit of God in the context of the gathered church. Now, what was happening in the church? It seems that some members of the Corinthian church were concerned with how spiritual gifts were being used in the corporate worship setting. Those who came from a pagan worship background had issues with these speech gifts that were being exercised in these public worship services of the Corinthian church. And as we learned earlier in the series, pagan worship in these prominent temples of Corinth at the time involved ecstatic expression of speech that was often associated with pagan worship. And now they were found in the church and perhaps exercised as a sign of one's spiritual maturity. But Paul encourages them to recognize their larger identity in Christ and not to measure their sense of identity or measure their sense of importance based on the kinds of spiritual gifts that each person had. Paul illustrates this point with this section in the chapter on one body and many parts that Kate so uh, helpfully helped us illustrate with that children's story using Emmeline's poster. The diversity, in, a fa in fact, is a sign of the Spirit's uniting work amongst them because all parts are needed for the healthy functioning of the body. In verse 4 to 6, Paul reinforces this unity amongst this diversity by appealing to the very nature of the Trinity. His reference to the Spirit and to the Lord and that God is a variation. I think you should see this, uh, this scripture come up on the bottom of the screen. His reference to the Spirit, Lord, and God is a variation of the Trinitarian formula of Spirit, Son, and Father. Amidst the three persons of the Trinity, we see equal character, equal worth, equal divinity, but different activities and roles that serve the greater goal of God's glory being displayed in all of creation. This is the unifying work of the Trinity, God, that unfolds in history and culminates in the life, in the death, and resurrection of Jesus, God's Son. This work of the Trinity, God, 
anticipates the renewal of all things in the future. And it's this work of renewal that unites the work of God's Spirit in God's people. Paul wants the Corinthian church to understand how their unity can be enhanced by appreciating the variety of gifts that God has given to them and realize that this diversity of gifts granted by the Holy Spirit is for a common purpose. What's that common purpose? To do this work of God in the world. But here's the thing. Not only does Paul tie the unity of the gifts to this nature of God, but Paul also ties the nature of this work to the nature of God. Now, uh, if you come to know me, I like to problem solve things. So on Fridays, which I usually take as my Sabbath in the week, uh, I'll often allocate part of the day to fix things around the house, like, like my bikes or our cars. Though I know that some people find it stressful to think about those things and problem solve, I actually like working with my hands and problem solving helps me disengage restfully from my vocational work as a pastor. Now, some people do Sudokus. I tinker with bikes and cars. Some people don't finish their Sudokus, and I often don't finish my tinkering, much to Julia's chagrin. And anytime I, do, I, I set myself up to do this kind of work, I've realized that I need three things. The first thing is I need the necessary tools, and I like this one because it gives me a reason to buy new tools. The second thing is you need to have a specific problem to solve. You need to have the scope, an assignment, or a task to complete. And the third thing is you need to have adequate energy and resources and time to complete the job. And if you don't have that, then you can't finish the task. Now, if you go back and look at verses 4 to 6, Paul is tying these three aspects of work, of Christian life and ministry, to the three persons of the Trinity. It's the Spirit that gives the spiritual gifts as tools to individuals in the body of Christ. Now, if you're watching with someone or you can text someone and just turn and tell them, you are a tool. You are a gifted tool of the Holy Spirit. And as a gifted tool of the Holy Spirit, it's the Lord Jesus that assigns the task to each believer. So the Spirit gives the tools, the Jesus gives the task, and God the Father provides the energy and the resources to complete that task. Now in verse 7, we're told how this work, what this work is for. This work helps us clarify the scope of unity and the scope of the gifts that God distributes amongst the church. Paul isn't talking generally about gifts that people have because we are all made in God's image. Regardless of where someone is at in their relationship with the living God, the kind of diversity of gifts and abilities that we celebrate in every human being is this broader category of God's creative diversity. We see that in the animal kingdom as well and and the in the leaves that uh, in the fall colors that Daryl mentioned earlier in the service, this is the, the beautiful diversity of God's creation. But none of God's creation is manifested with the Holy Spirit to serve the common good of the, uh, that God has commissioned the church for. We talk of gifted student programs and certain people who have a knack for certain skills as having a gift. And we may be tempted to apply this principle to our natural gifts and abilities to serve the common good. And we, of course, should do that. But that isn't what Paul is talking about here. Paul here is talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given for the common good of the body of Christ to do God's work in the world. 
Remember, in these final chapters of his letter to the Corinthians, from chapter 11 to 14, Paul is addressing divisions in their public worship gatherings. There's something happening in the life of the body of Christ that he is addressing. And that's why these are manifestations of the Spirit, or special dispensations of God's Spirit poured out on the gathered family of God. This leads us to the final movement, which highlights the diversity of these spirit manifestation gifts that are meant to be exercised in the gathering of God's people. Now, in recent years within the Christian church, we have been encouraged to find spiritual rhythms and practices that help us individually connect with God and to pay attention to the Spirit's work in our lives and in the world around us. And these practices are certainly gifts for us, and we've taught them here at WCF. And I encourage you, to take advantage of these practices in settings like our midweek online prayer. You can go to wcfchurch.org slash online prayer to find out when we gather on Wednesday mornings and Wednesday evenings. These are ways that we can nurture this kind of individual attentiveness to the Holy Spirit. And there is a certain degree of individualized individualized spirituality that is helpful to nurture. But Paul here is talking about a different work of the Spirit. If you take a look at this image of verses 7 to 11, you'll kind of see how the gifts are sandwiched between these two references to the Spirit. In verse 7, the Spirit distributes the gifts for the common good. And in verse 11, the Spirit gives the gifts to individuals. So there's this tension of uh, common good and individual gifting. The uh, The Spirit works and manifests in the lives of individual Christ followers, worshiping together, for the common good of the gathered body of Christ, not just for personal spiritual development. These gifts for the common good describe things that are helpful to build up the fellowship of believers. They are gifts meant to be used in the gathered fellowship of Christ's followers. Now, this list is certainly not exhaustive, as Paul mentions other gift lists in his other letters. In verse 9, Paul mentions the gifts of faith and the gifts of healing. The gift of faith is not faith as it relates to our salvation, but a particular measure of faith to trust God in something that is larger than you would normally expect. Now, this church and this building that we gather in or have been gathering in was born out of the gift of faith of the founding pastor, Myron Augsburger, and the founding members of WCF. Many members were born, ministries were born out of WCF because of the gift of faith to particular members of WCF. And I believe that this digital learning lab that we've you know, begun exploring is being born by the gift of faith given to Wanda Anderson and Stacy Frank together with the Missions Commission. But through the work, Spirit's work, these are acts of faith that stretch us out of our comfort zone. They don't make sense to us on a practical level, but they make sense to, a God, uh, to, to us on a supernatural level. The gift of healing is a gift to trust God to intervene in the physical in the mental, emotional, or relational well-being of people. Sometimes that gift of healing comes as an instantaneous or it's incredibly accelerated. And for those, we should give thanks. But often the healing takes place over a longer period and with the assistance of professionals. And we can give credit to God for both of these kinds of healing. Now, the other gifts listed here refer to some form of speaking gifts. Now, these aren't speaking gifts in the form of being gifted communicators, but they're being gifted by the Spirit to provide a timely and needed word from the Lord 
to a specific group of people. Now, this should certainly, certainly include preaching and teaching, but it also can include spontaneous words of wisdom and knowledge revealed in the gathering of Christ followers. Those of us who come from Pentecostal or even Quaker traditions may have observed these gifts in action. In the charismatic church settings I spent time in, there is an expectancy of speaking in tongues and of prophetic words to be given in the midst of a Sunday service. People would stand up in the middle of the service at the appropriate time and proclaim an utterance in an unintelligible language with the expectation that the Spirit of God would also lead another person in the congregation to speak a word from God in a language that we could all understand. Now, while there is always room for error or for human influence that some of us might prefer to be more controlled in a public setting, the exercise of these gifts was also a beautiful demonstration of faith and of trust in the different members of the body of Christ to build one another up. Now, I personally have received a number of kinds of these prophetic words or words of knowledge in my life from people who knew nothing about me. When I was 16, I attended a conference where a worship leader I'd never met before had led worship and was teaching. And during a break, we walked by each other in the hallway and he stopped me and he says, do you lead worship? And at the time, I played piano in our small church that I attended, so I said yes. And then he went on to pray for me that God would use me to lead others in musical worship. And over the years, that is something that's taken place. He knew nothing about me, but the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit knew what I needed to hear to to lead me in the direction of faithfulness to God. Now, my point here is not that Pentecostals or Charismatics are more filled with the Spirit than other Christians, but we can learn from that sense of immediacy and that sense of expectancy for God's Spirit to work in every member of the body of Christ, not just the people who are scheduled to serve here in front of you on the screen or on the platform. Every time we gather for worship, in person or online, every time we meet with our small groups, every time we meet someone for coffee, we are not just waiting for the leader to say something insightful so we can be spiritually refreshed, but we can come and give of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you to build up the body of Christ. Now, whether we gather in person or online, I wonder how much our church might grow if we came with this expectancy to not only hear from God and to witness God's work in our services, but to also allow God to speak through us and to allow God to work through us in ways that are beyond our natural abilities and skills. We are stronger together. We are more than a faith community. We are more than a family. We are a people called by God and sent to do God's work in the world, and that begins in our gatherings together. You know, grounded in our identity as God's family, made possible through Jesus, our Savior and our leader, and propelled into the unifying work of God in the world through the Spirit's gifts to each one of us as individuals. Every time we gather, we come with expectant hearts for God to move towards us, but also for God to move through us for the common good of this particular fellowship of believers. That's why we need one another. That's why we are united around. How might this look like in a church setting when this wider culture depends on these crafted media releases written by communications consultants? Now, we'll get to that in two weeks, 
time when we get to chapter 14. But for now, perhaps the gifts of the Spirit being released is something that we can begin asking for ourselves. When we gather together, when we hop online together, maybe there's a word or a knowledge or some discernment that we are hearing that the Holy Spirit has given to you that the church needs to hear. And we need to step out in faith to begin sharing what we receive in the right setting. And maybe it looks like emailing one of the elders with that word of knowledge, with that word of wisdom or encouragement, or the person that you're thinking about during the worship service. And maybe it looks like reaching out to praying for healing of a fellow sister or brother because the Spirit of God moves you to do so. We are more than a faith community because we are called to be the people of God, to do God's good work in the world. The Spirit of God fills and gifts each one of us for this common good of the fellowship so that this fellowship might be built up to the glory of God. Amen.